colleges are starting to realize that two to four years is too long to prepare students for the future of work, which is why we're interviewing the CEO of Trilogy Education Services, which is helping colleges launch their own version of boot camps that aren't just focused on coding, but also data analytics, UX, UI design, cybersecurity, and more. If you want to learn more about how you can take advantage of these boot camps on a college campus near you, make sure you go to breakingintostartups.com slash ready, R-E-A-D-Y, and take our boot camp readiness assessment so that I can personally follow up with you and help you uh, decide where you ultimately want to go. Um, on this episode, we don't just talk about college campuses and coding boot camps, but we also talk about education, the future of work, um, how you should be thinking about the market, and all kinds of other things related to how corporations are thinking about the future of work. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure that you join the Breaking Stars community on Facebook. You like our page, you leave a review on iTunes. And if you like this episode, make sure you tell your friends, tweet about it, uh, send us an email. It's Ruben Archer or Timor at breakingthestars.com. And without further ado, Let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. So this morning, it's uh, 8 a.m. We're sitting in San Francisco and our guest is um, on the other coast. Like we said, uh, our guests don't always come to us. Sometimes we come to them. Sometimes we do it remotely to make sure that the quality of guests is high and you get all your questions answered. With that said, Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, we're here with Dan Summer, who is the CEO of Trilogy Education. He grew up in upstate New York. And for reference, you know, he, he's not just the father of two and a proud husband. He has done something remarkable. Um, so remarkable that we had to cover him today where he's been able to launch partnerships with 37 of the world's leading universities where they're essentially launching um, these alternative forms of education for these campuses. They have instructors teaching 200 classes every single week. They have thousands of students that have completed trilogy-powered programs. 1,500 companies employ them. And recently, in May, he just secured a $50 million Series B, and he's doing a lot of exciting things related to the future of work. Before this, he was the president of Zeta Global Education, uh, which is a large education company. And while he was in school at Cornell, he was the president of Student Agencies Incorporated. I'm going to talk about a lot of other things that he did from a professional perspective, but we're going to start off by just saying welcome, Dan, and uh, thank you for joining us. Great to be here, guys. I appreciate the offer uh, yeah. to, to talk to you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So I, I know during the pre-chat, we were talking a little bit about Trilogy, but why don't we just start, start about that? I know I, I gave a little bit of an intro. Why did you start Trilogy? I know we talked about boot camps growing and immersive education and you know why universities? Yeah, so right around 2015, I noted that there were so many tech jobs that were open, that were going unfilled. And I just really validated that in speaking to so many different companies whose number one challenge is finding people that have technical skills. And in, in a world where every company is becoming effectively a software or technology company, mm -hmm. 
And there was a problem, right? There were only 49,000 computer science graduates coming out of universities in the U.S. specifically, mm-hmm. let alone the global phenomenon, but in the U.S. every single year. Mm-hmm. And there was the emergence of coding boot camps, right? Mm-hmm. High quality, immersive uh, schools that were coming up throughout the country. But the question that I asked, and it's probably related to, to my upbringing a little bit, which we could get back to, but the question that I asked is, why aren't universities, why aren't mm-hmm. colleges and universities helping students to gain the skills that are necessary in an emerging and a changing digital economy, yeah. in a world that's absolutely changing? So I thought that if we could help universities, if we could collaborate and partner with universities to help them to launch programs that teach these skills in web development and other more technical disciplines, that there'd be a lot of winners in that equation. Companies would win that want to actually recruit from those institutions and those universities. Universities would be in a position to really be highly relevant to industry and to be able to provide more access to more people to this emerging field. And that individuals in the community that want to get new skills to future-proof their skills and their future would have an opportunity also to attend a great prestigious university in their community. Yeah, And so it checked out. It made sense. The reason we call it trilogy is the idea that you know, students can be successful and universities can be successful and industry can be successful. Mm-hmm. Then we've got a real win. I love that you, I love the name. And I love that you thought about the name. It makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you all started in, in 2015, like just three years ago and have been able to scale to hundreds of classes in, in dozens of cities. I mean, how did you do that? So uh, fundamentally, that's a great question. So fundamentally, we built a lot of systems in place mm-hmm. to ensure and to track quality. So let me, let, me, let me give you some specifics. Every week in every classroom, we ask our students six questions. Okay. We ask them how they feel about the pace of the class. Mm-hmm. Is it too fast or too slow? Mm-hmm. How they feel about the academic support they're receiving. Mm-hmm. We ask them how they feel about the self-mastery that they're gaining mm-hmm. in the class from the previous week's work. Mm-hmm. We ask them how they feel about their instructor's knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, clarity, mm-hmm. and engagement level. Mm-hmm. And we look at that data mm-hmm. and we comb over that data on a weekly basis. Nice. And we have a target that no more than 5% of students should feel a low level of academic support. That's awesome. So that is our kind of our metric. So last quarter, we had a 1.9% of students overall feeling a low level of academic support. So to wow. us, that's amazing, right? Because yeah. we, we set a target, we beat the target, mm-hmm. and it, it ensures that there's a, a focus on quality. Now, with that data, what do we do? When we see that students are struggling, mm-hmm. we reach out to them and we offer one-on-one tutoring sessions, shared mm-hmm. screen tutoring sessions. We have over 100 tutors that play a role in that process. Mm-hmm. We also will provide supplemental material. We've made over 7,000 curriculum changes wow. since we started based on feedback that we're getting from our learner analytics and feedback that we're getting from a network of over 700 instructors and TAs that are doing pull requests and GitHub to yeah. make modifications to the curriculum. Yeah. So to answer the question more directly, what we do is we focus on systems to track progression and quality, mm-hmm. homework assignments, assessments, to ensure that we're addressing any issues as they arise and that we're focused on certain KPIs for progress of, of students and success of the programs. Got it. So you have like really tight feedback loops. And 
And speaking of pace, I believe there are some part-time programs or some full-time programs and there are some online offerings. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So what we want to do, we want to take a step back and think about who we want to help. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to help people in communities to get skills, to develop skills yep. and hopefully find roles that suit kind of their goals mm-hmm. and their desires. So when we kind of take a step back and we think about who we're helping, a lot of the people we're helping are working adults. They're mm-hmm. the average age of a student in one of our programs is around 31, median age 26 or 27. Wow. From a wide range of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. We've got individuals that are computer science graduates. We have individuals that have high school diplomas or GEDs only. Mm-hmm. And so what we wanted to do is not take for granted the fact that people have to continue to work and have to make an income. Yep. And so what we did is we focused on part-time programs. Okay. So we teach evening and weekend classes. So mm-hmm. the average student would go to class 6.30 to 9.30, Tuesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to class Saturday from approximately 10 to 2, okay. office hours before and after. The office hours. But this too. allows a working adult to spend hundreds of hours in a classroom, but then ultimately do the work on their own time. So yeah. what we also do is we encourage students to spend at least 20, 30 hours a week yeah. on homework assignments outside of class. Mm-hmm. So these are working adults, real people that have you know real mortgages and families, and but they're looking for better opportunities or they're looking for skills that ultimately can help to lead them to a better place in, in a rapidly transforming economy. You know, what I like to talk, one of the things we talk a lot about with our university partners, and these are, these are thought leaders across, uh, really across North America. Yeah. Institutions like Columbia University, New York, mm-hmm. Cal Berkeley mm-hmm. in San Francisco, UT Austin in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. great institutions. Yeah. And there's this notion of a 60-year curriculum. Yeah. So think about it, you know, from... 17 to 77, you're learning. You're, you're in high school. Maybe you're fortunate enough <laughs> to go to college. Yep. And then maybe you're fortunate enough to get a master's degree. Or maybe you want to go and get a certificate from a continuing education program at a local college or take a MOOC yep. or go to a boot camp. Yep. So over the course of, of your career in your life, mm-hmm. there's many opportunities to get more skills yep. and, to, and to develop more skills. Yeah. So what I encourage our students to think about is that the boot camp is in the, in the, in the context of a 60 years of learning where mm-hmm. your boss is going to tell you to learn React or Angular or <laughs> Python or, you know, concepts and data analytics or leadership, right? They're going to mm-hmm. always ask you to learn more. Mm-hmm. So a boot camp demonstrates your desire to learn, mm-hmm. that you want to pick up skills, mm-hmm but that you're going to have to learn first and foremost how to learn. It's not about Ruby on Rails versus Python. Mm -hmm. It really never has been about that. It's about learning how to learn in the context of your career. And hopefully you'll be working, unless maybe you win the lottery, hopefully you'll (laughs) be working from 17 to 77. And uh, you're going to have a lot of changes in that. So a love of learning, a thirst of learning is something we really hope that people embrace when when they come to our program. Yeah, no, I, I love the emphasis on lifelong learning and learning how to learn and, and pointing out that throughout your career, you're going to be having to learn different types of skills. Um, I love that you also started touching on these, these big, you know, these aren't just 37 universities. You're working with people like Georgia Tech and Columbia and Berkeley and Penn and 
But I think the other point that may not have been understood by a lot of people is that these programs aren't just on these campuses for the students. Like people in the community are also able to take part of it. And you're not just focusing on coding, you're focusing on other skill sets. So can you talk a little bit more about like how people can not just find out about these programs that are on these campuses, but be, be a part of them? Absolutely. I think, it, I think it's important also to talk a little bit about how we determine what programs yeah. to run with our universities. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of local research. We do a lot of research into skills, into open opportunities and positions, into what industry needs. We talk to a lot of companies. We talk to a lot of developers you know, in the right domains. And we develop a sense of what types of opportunities there are in a given region, what types mm-hmm. of technologies, for example, will be very popular in that region. For example, we teach maybe Python through our partnership with Northwestern. Yeah. And we teach PHP through our partnership with UCF in mm-hmm. Orlando. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you understand kind of the local employer kind of needs. Got it. And then we are also looking at demand in a given region mm-hmm. and the opportunity for students to learn and what some of their alternatives might be, right? So mm-hmm. we, we really were very careful about selecting our partners and where we would want to run our programs. Mm-hmm. We're looking for universities that really share our philosophy about opening opportunity and access. Mm-hmm. To us, it's really, this is a new form of digital literacy. It's a new form of literacy. It's digital literacy. Yeah. And we partner with universities that are forward thinking in that regard. Yeah. And yeah. so what we try to do is when we recruit and market for these programs, students will come in and they'll go through an interview process mm-hmm. and a coding test and an academic interview. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, should they decide to enroll, we want to make sure that they're, they're prepared and they, they're ready and that they know that this is not going to be an easy journey. But yeah. I, I, I kind of go back to the 60-year curriculum. Yeah. Nothing is going to be easy. Yeah, but yeah. if you put in the time and you put in the effort and you have a you know you develop even if you don't have one we have we have students all over the country who tell us that this is the single best learning experience they've had they were intimidated wow. intimidated by education intimidated by their college professors intimidated by their early experiences they felt stupid they felt incompetent mm-hmm. so we want to make learning a pleasurable experience yeah and so what we've done is we collaborate with universities that have that that mindset yeah. that have that hands-on kind of desire to teach relevant skills yeah. and that are open to helping as many students as they can to achieve their desired outcomes yeah. in this yeah. new form of lives. Uh, can you, uh, so it sounds like there's, um, you mentioned that people are coming in to acquire new skills. Some of them might have their employers ask for a skill that they don't currently have. So they go out and get it and then go back to the employer. I can imagine that a lot of them probably acquire this skill and look for new opportunities. Do you have any numbers and outcomes or any examples of where these people end up once they go through your program? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time with our students trying to understand what their goals are, whether their goals are to get a promotion at work, to upskill, whether their goals are to make a career change, whether their goals are just to have an additional skill so that they can um, do side projects, work, you know, I think it's, you know, the side hustle, whatever the, the side case might hustle. be, <laughs> side hustle. And so we spend a lot of time trying to understand what they're looking for ultimately and what success looks like for them in the program. And what we do is we offer a broad range of career services throughout the program. We help students to prepare for technical interviews. We help them to prepare for behavioral interviews. We give them one-on-one coaching career direction. Mm -hmm. 
we also, we've established a framework after collaborating with hundreds of companies that we call the career competitive framework. So we outlined for students in the very beginning what it means to be competitive. How many GitHub commits should you be targeting? Mm-hmm. Down to that level. And so what we want to do is set expectations that this is going to be a difficult journey, but if you do the work, if you put in the time, we are here to help you every step of the way and we have the resources to help you. Yeah. So we've now had over 2,000 companies and they're ranging from Google to small local startup that are hiring graduates of these programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's more now is we're seeing a lot of companies are coming to us. We had a company recently say to us that 70% of their existing workforce needs new technical skills mm-hmm. to stay relevant. Their existing technical workforce. So they, with a partnership that we have with the university, are running a boot camp for them on site Wow! to train existing technology people to get them to new skills. So, I mean, I think the thing to think about is if you're considering a boot camp, if you're out there and you're thinking about, is this the right thing for me? Don't look at it as an end goal. Look at it as a starting position. Look mm-hmm. at it as, you know, a really positive step that you're taking towards your overall education and commitment to learning. But learning doesn't stop. Learning happens on the job. Learning happens off the job. And you have to have that mindset going in. Yeah. Uh, stay relevant. Yeah. No, and I think it's amazing what you all are doing. I mean, you, you have stories ranging from, you know, dishwashers that became software engineers to, you know, uh, people that were project managers that went to software engineers. Or, do you want to talk a little bit about like the, the types of people that have gone to your programs that have been able to have successful outcomes? I'll tell you a story that just, you know, I'm going to leave names out you yeah. know, just for, because I haven't gotten permission to use their names in this, yeah. <laughs> in this, in this podcast, right? Yeah. But one of the first classes we ran was probably the best, it, it's the minute I understood I kind of understood, but the minute I understood the impact that we potentially could have. Yeah. So we started a class at one of our university partners. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes after the start of class, this was the one person who was late on the starting day of class. I said, oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> so he showed up and he, you know, he clearly had been working, right? He had a, you know, kind of dirty t-shirt on, dirt under his fingernails. Yeah. You know, we were going around as we do my favorite kind of day of class is the first day when we go around, we understand who's in the class, mm-hmm. what their background is, why they're there, what they want to accomplish. It's, a, it's, a, it's the best moment, you know, the best moment that you could possibly want to have as an educator just to I love understand that. why people are doing it. And yeah. so what I um, so this individual came in late, we're kind of like, oh, what's going to happen here? Yeah. So about, you know, he was stayed to himself, he's very quiet, you know, and but the you could tell he was bright. You could tell he was sharp and he had a mind for it. He started being kind of that helper in the class. He was almost kind of like that, that TA that yeah. was kind of there and people would ask questions to. And so four months into the program, not having a technical background, he, you know, we learned he, he'd been working in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four months in the program, he took on an internship mm-hmm. in a big pharmaceutical company in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he just on an internship, he built an inventory management database. Mm-hmm. Just just because he thought, why shouldn't I build yeah. an inventory management <laughs> flex, flex. database for this multi-billion dollar company? Yeah. And so and he was promptly hired. Wow. You know, with four months into the six month program. That's amazing. And that was the minute I was like, I, I just you know, I knew I was in the right place, yeah. focused on the right thing. And I knew that we could have just a substantial impact by, you know, focusing on students and focusing on their success. Yeah. And we have stories 
because, I mean, as we've kind of grown and evolved, we have stories like that. We have people that are already engineers that become better engineers and more relevant technologies. We have people that are stay-at-home moms and they put their career on hold to raise their families who come back and learn new skills and yeah. move on with their careers. And we've got you know people that are looking for promotions. We had one of our classes, we had a Harvard MBA. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I'm a Harvard MBA. Why, yeah. why am I going to a web development boot camp? Yeah. So this this MBA said, you know, I learned very important things in Harvard. But when I went to school, we lived in a world where you would just outsource your technology. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about strategic thinking. You would outsource your technology. Mm-hmm. But then he wanted a bridge to the startup world. He yeah. became a founder of a company. Yeah. And he said it's no longer acceptable to turn your engineers and just, you know, or to outsource it. You have to understand how to talk code. Yeah. And so he took this program so he could be that hands-on leader. That's awesome. And so that he could actually do something important like that. And so, you know, there's your your Harvard MBA that you would not think would be maybe a candidate for this type of program that ultimately had great success. And and he built a tool that is, that his startup uses every day for analytics. That's uh, amazing. And, uh, That's amazing. For understanding his customers. Yeah. yeah. And t- on the topic, sorry, on the topic of like outcomes, apprenticeships come up a lot. And yesterday, actually, they passed the executive order, like I think putting together a council of 23 companies and with commitments to create, a, I think, over 3.8 million apprenticeships. So, what role do you think apprenticeships play in this kind of workforce development model, where people are constantly learning new skills, and employers are needing this, like these workers who are who are in the process of developing the skills, but maybe not quite there. So, I think any opportunity for hands-on learning mm-hmm. and for immersive learning is positive. Mm-hmm. So, I think that. Companies that decide to invest in helping to train people in new skills to get a foot in the door in this industry, I think it's all good, honestly. And I, and I, you know, we talk to companies often about whether they're internships or apprenticeships for graduates or people during our programs. And you know, I just think anything that gives someone hands-on exposure in working in the real world of a tech company or any company that's doing technology is great. So I, I definitely applaud the effort and the focus mm-hmm. and just shining the light on the challenge that companies are facing. You know, I, I recently spoke to a large global consulting firm that was just talking about how, you know, there's a 1% unemployment rate among tech workers. Yeah. And it's impossible to find talent. I mean, you've got these huge multi-billion dollar companies that simply can't find talent. Mm-hmm. And so they need to, they can't compete. It's an arms race. Yep. If they want, if they try to find someone that has seven to 10 years of experience mm-hmm. and they pay them a hundred dollars an hour, mm-hmm. they're going to go down the street for $105 an hour mm-hmm. at whoever's going to beat the price. Yep. They can't compete. Yep. The only way they can compete is to build a long-term sustainable pipeline of talent. There you go. And sometimes you've got to focus on people with zero to one year of experience. Yep. Sometimes it's three to five years, but yep. that's why I think, the idea of this, you know, this quick fix solution, it just doesn't, you know, make sense. You have to think about you're growing a career, you're developing yep. new skills. Yep. You have to have a commitment to lifelong learning yep. of new skills. Yep. I think companies too are starting to understand that they need to build funnel mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that ultimately can be your, your chief engineers, but you gotta start somewhere. And I yeah. think apprenticeships in these on the job training programs 
are a great way to accomplish that goal. So I applaud that that yeah. effort. It was heartening to see. Yeah, yeah, no, that, a thousand percent. I fully agree with that. So let's say I'm the I'm in charge of career services at my department, or if I'm the chancellor for a lot of colleges, and I'm interested in launching trilogy powered boot camps across all of my universities or my current university. I know there's the part time, which is 24 weeks. There's the full time, which is 12 weeks, and there's the live online. But what is the what is the process like? Do I talk to you? Do I talk to somebody on your team in order to power this, or how does it work if I want to have it at my school? Yeah, so we we speak with fortunate to really now travel around the world talking to deans and administrators at different universities that really want to play a role in what I call workforce acceleration. They really okay. want to be super relevant to industry. They want to help people to kind of develop these skills because they're very aware of the challenges that exist. So if you're a university and you really feel that there's an opportunity in your region Mm -hmm. uh, to help local companies, to find the right talent, to help people in your community, then it's always great to have that conversation Yeah, to see if it makes sense. Okay, cool. Can, Can you talk a little bit about boot camps in general? It's because like there's a lot of people, there's a lot of hesitation around, like like you said before, like the zero to one years of experience, are boot camps going to last? There's some of them that have been acquired. Some of them have emerged. Like some people are very bullish on it. Some people are skeptical. So can you just kind of talk about the, your thoughts on what's going to happen with the boot camp market in general? I mean, why you're so committed to this space? Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely love boot camps. I think they're solving a big, a big challenge. And I think some of them do an amazing, amazing job. But I think you've got to pull, you have to pull back a little bit. You have to think about the broader trends and you have to think about, you know, the, you know, the statistics, you know, the data, 800 million workers globally could be automated out of jobs. Yep. Mm-hmm. The half-life of a skill is two to three years. Mm-hmm. Currently today, there's over half a million open jobs in technology that are going unfilled. Mm-hmm. Unemployment rates are at a, a record low. Mm-hmm. Every company is becoming a technology or a software company to mm-hmm. some degree, right? Because every company is seeking greater efficiency. Mm-hmm. And um, you think about that and you, you, you just, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies are going to come in to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to come in with the right business model. Some of them are going to come in maybe with the wrong business model. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to invest in the right area. Some of them are going to invest in the wrong area. So the problem is huge. My personal belief is that there are thousands of universities out there and institutions out there that are in the business of helping people to learn, are in the business of helping to educate individuals, mm-hmm. and that there's a great role for universities to play in the domain of helping to prepare people for the digital economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that my bet, the bet that I placed was as an enabler, as a workforce accelerator, partnering with universities that provide what our university partners do would be the right model to start addressing this challenge. That said, I think that boot camps in general are great and that they're a great opportunity for individuals to go and learn a skill. What I'll say is it's all about what you put into the effort. It's yeah. all from a student perspective. It's what your it's your commitment level, how hard you're willing to work. Are you willing to ask for help? So I love what you guys are doing with Career Karma mm-hmm. and the idea that you bring people together to support each other, mm-hmm. that you bring people together because it's uh, this is not a lonely sport. You know, yeah. this is a sport that requires a lot of collaboration to succeed. Mm-hmm. 
And so what you guys are doing with Career Karma is spot on. Find a group, find a network, mm-hmm. um, get a support system in place. Mm-hmm. It, it, you should not do this alone. Yeah. But it, so if you go in with the right expectations and you find the right program that fits for you, mm-hmm. or you love, you know, the instructor or you love the, the methodology or the pedagogy for teaching or any aspect of the program, go find one, but get started, get yep. started. Because the opportunity is out there if you apply yourself. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, we're actually, you mentioned career karma. And what we're trying to do is bring people together, organize them into small teams so they can work They can work on figuring out like which program to do, how to pass the admissions bar. From your perspective, what advice do you have for them? Because we, we all believe in the model of the boot camps. Like Arthur and I went through like App Academy and Hack Reactor, but now there are like 200 boot camps, right? There's so many options out there and people almost get overwhelmed because they want to obviously go to the best program that gets them a job. But how does someone go about determining that which bootcamp is the right fit for them? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, of course, I'll say we've got 37 <laughs> universities and you should at least put us on the list of consideration, right? Yeah. But that said, so let me just take a step back. I mean, look, I think it's about coming in with a list of questions that you want to ask and you want to ask questions about you know, how the curriculum was developed. You want to ask questions around who the instructors are and how they find instructors and what their experience is. You know, you want to ask questions about how they incorporate industry into the classroom. You want to ask questions about the success of students. Mm-hmm. And um, you want to ask questions about, you know, you probably want to learn a little bit about the school. Have they been funded? Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to be around for a long time? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they understand if, you know, their graduates are retaining in jobs. You've got a lot of questions that you should ask. You should go in as an educated consumer mm-hmm. and you should talk to a few different schools to figure out what's the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, sure. that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I love your focus on kind of like making sure the skills are relevant to the region that you live in because tech is not just like across the board, like JavaScript everywhere. You mentioned like in Orlando, PHP is a lot more prominent. So there's a lot more open positions for PHP developers, right? So when someone is learning how to code, it's also important to keep in mind that you should do your research on the market that you're in. If you're in Orlando, if you're in South Florida, like figure out what are the open jobs and like what language you should be learning. Because in six months, once you graduate, you're going to be going to these interviews. And even though you can learn a new language, they are going to be looking at your portfolio and evaluating you of like how productive you are going to be on the first day of the job. So it's important to do that research as well and then find the program that give you that skill. Yeah, I mean, you touched on GitHub. I was just going to say that like around portfolio, like people value portfolio a lot of times more than where you went and more about what you do. So, but but you're about to go into something. Yeah, no, I, you know, I was was going to say that, you know, I, I agree. One of the things that we do, we have graduations, demo days and networking Mm -hmm. events for students. And the sincerest form of flattery of our programs is when a student learns React in our classrooms and then builds a program builds a portfolio leveraging Angular. Yeah. Because then I know you learned how to learn. So yep. so I think that one of the things, one of the reasons we cover so many different technologies in the program is we want to expose people to different types of technologies. Because I think you, know, you may go into a job and it's expected that you know Python, PHP, C Sharp.net, Java. Mm-hmm. But you know, your boss is going to tap you on the shoulder and they're going to say, you know, you got to learn how to use React and I need you to start developing in three days. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? So 
You know, you're going to go to your friend Google and you're going to figure it out and you're going to learn how to learn. Yeah. And so that's a huge emphasis for us. It's just learning how to learn because the technology that's relevant today is undoubtedly going to change. I mean, look, the number of repos and the growth of repos on GitHub related to JavaScript, unquestionable, that's consuming the market. Yeah. No.js. But, you know, a few months from now, the half-life of a skill, again, is two to three years. Yeah. So you are going to have to learn... Graph 10, 20, 30, 40 <laughs> different, right, different languages yeah. and tools mm-hmm. over the course of your career. Mm-hmm. So better learn now. Yeah, and sure. don't don't just become an expert. Yeah. What is your uh, uh, what in terms of like taking a step back and looking at kind of the education that college provides versus the coding bootcamp? I guess in both cases, both provide you with knowledge, but how you acquire the knowledge and what you use that knowledge is very different. What is your perspective, having spent like decades in this? in this industry you're making me feel very very old right now. <laughs> no, no, veteran, veteran, veteran 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 that's right <laughs> look i think the college experience is one that's super essential for so many people right and what do you learn in college you learn you certainly learn a lot of a lot you gain a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. you have an experience where you're collaborating with other people you're building community you're learning how to get out of bed and get to class yep you know, you're learning to socialize in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. The college experience, I think, is is really a cornerstone experience. And I think that, you know, that picking the discipline and picking where you want to learn and the subject matter that you want to learn, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Whether it's computer science or whether it's government, it's just, you know, you want to kind of follow your interests. Mm-hmm. That said, college is only the start. And not to, uh, not to hearken on this again, but but you have to keep learning well beyond college. Oh yeah. So I think you you college provides an unbelievable experience as does a master's program or a MOOC or mm-hmm. an alternative credential or a course on Coursera or Udacity or edX yep. or a boot camp. Yep. And so I just think, you know, as you're piecing together what you want to learn and what your knowledge is, you know, you're you're gonna to have to constantly go back and educate and think about these not as the only solution, but as one mm-hmm. of a long lifetime of learning. Yeah. Now, one of the great pieces of advice I got actually from my, uh, from my father-in-law. Okay. So I'm, you know, you talk about being a veteran, I'm the veteran of the dot-com crash. <laughs> Doesn't in case and uh, I built a company out in Los Angeles, California years and years ago, and I raised venture capital and it was mm-hmm. not a big success. And uh, I remember I moved back from California to marry my lovely wife in New York, mm-hmm. who I was dating at the time. And uh, my soon-to-be father-in-law sat me down in the context being, you know, 2000, 2001, uh-huh. bad, bad economy. And he said, you know, you're, you'll learn that. I was a bit of a generalist. He said, you will learn that best way to future-proof yourself in any economy is to develop a skill, is to specialize, Ooh, focus, to be wow. a specialist. I love it. And I... My specialty, I went and I got my master's in direct and interactive marketing mm-hmm. at a continuing education program at NYU. Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, and I, so I got a master's degree in marketing and I became an expert in digital marketing. That was my specialty. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, as I started Trilogy, you know, that advice could not have resonated more. You want to yeah. build a superpower. You want to build a skill, a specialty that is coding. Mm-hmm. That is understanding how to use data. That is understanding design. That is understanding code. Mm-hmm. That is a superpower that is going to 
help you to prepare for the future, whatever it may hold, because those secular trends aren't changing. Yeah. So if I were to give career advice to anybody, it would be develop a specialty and you can survive almost any economy by doing that. It's so the new, it's the new you, form of job security. Yeah, I mean, it I'm, is the there is no job security. That yeah. is the new form of job. Security. Exactly. Learning how to learn. Learning how to learn. Yeah. Learning how to learn. Yeah. Focus on superpowers. Be aware of not just what jobs are open, but the trends, the languages that you need to learn, how to communicate, how to interact. And I like that you f- emphasize the community piece inside of college. Like where you know, I personally think that like if even if you didn't go to college, where you find your best friends is when you're acquiring a skill. Like you said, that's difficult. So like if you are learning how to play music or play sports, like that's where you tend to find your best friends in college tends to be where you find those people. responding at three in the morning when yeah. you're trying to figure out, you know, how to solve a problem. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to touch on kind of the elephant in the room, just talking about trends, right? Where like we know that college, especially community college, has like brought more people into middle class than any other institution. However, student loans are at an all-time high and something might happen. So like what are your thoughts about Student loans being so high, or the cost or of just, education just rising, like, yeah, and where like where things are going from a traditional education perspective, because like using trilogy is amazing because now they're like future proofing themselves, they're like staying ahead and keeping up with the pace of technology. But like, will student loans or like what are your thoughts on student loans affecting just like the economy in general? Yeah, look, I think there's a there's the the, the premise that success means getting a certain type of education, right? That's in our, in our society, success means you go the traditional route, you get a certain type of education. But I think it's like any other major decision that you make in life. You have to think about what your path is and what you want to, what you want to accomplish and what you want to do. And you want to think about everything from how much do you want to spend mm-hmm. in an education and where it might lead and what your return on investment is going to be. Yeah. So look, I, what I will tell you that is that you know maybe the college experience isn't for everyone, or maybe finding the right college or university where you aren't going to necessarily go into a tremendous amount of debt, or maybe you think about education over your lifetime and you think about how you're going to continue to invest in different types of education. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of very important. You should be thoughtful about that. Mm-hmm. Look, I'll, I will tell you that what's heartening for me in the creation of Trilogy because I think sometimes universities get a bad rap. I think yep. they get sometimes they get a bad rap for maybe not being relevant to industry, or they get a bad rap for charging too much, or you know, for some of the debt challenges. But I will tell you, I can I can speak, and I can speak for thirty-seven universities mm-hmm. <laughs> that there is a huge desire for colleges and universities, and I'm I'm seeing this now, this trend now on a global scale as we talk to universities all over the world to help people to get the right skills that are relevant to industry to give them alternative solutions, alternative credentials so they can get the right education to be very forward looking. Mm -hmm. So I think the future of higher education is bright. And I can say that with, uh, you know, 37 times over because it's just, I'm seeing that happen. I'm seeing dialogue change at the highest levels of institutions. And we just had um, uh, Saif from who is vice president of Florida international university. And he's extremely passionate about, providing access to yeah. his local community in South Florida and making yeah. sure that people can he, go to college. Get what did he call it? He called it the, get, the get GitHubization of skills and human <laughs> APIs. And so like, I think you like... Know, I, I, uh, I, should, I should speak with him. We'll, sure we'll make I that introduction, of, best believe. A lot in common. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I just met with a university. I was yesterday, I met with a university who's so concerned about their local economy and that, you know, we were talking about creating some experiments to make 
to set up programs that are just designed to serve the underserved. Mm-hmm. That bring in industry, that bring in university, that bring in academic research to study the experiments to yeah. make sure that we build something that's sustainable in a community. So I, yeah. when I think about where, what is the future of, of Trilogy and what do I want to build as a workforce accelerator, I want to be called by presidents of countries yeah. to say, we've got a workforce problem. Let's bring companies, let's bring universities, let's bring learners together to solve this problem. And let's hopefully let's deliver that solution through Trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And, I, and to your point, I think like the education system, the, the university system is an infrastructure that's, you know, global. So you have the people there, you have the, the resources there, you have the, the infrastructure to deliver this versus like, you know, trying to create things from the ground up. And they have a long history of educating for a long time. It's just a matter of like being current and relevant. So I love your, yeah, your yeah. approach to it. Since you're so like intimate with all the companies and universities teaching different skills, Besides engineering, what other areas do you see that people should look into to develop that specialty that you just described? Yeah, I, we see just tremendous growth in the you know in data certainly in data mm-hmm. analytics, visualization. You know, mm-hmm. we are launching a class in cybersecurity and IT. Yeah, we're seeing opportunities without saying too much in the realms of everything from technical project management to mm-hmm. applications and finance. There's a lot of opportunity in every field because every field is now confronted with the need to build technology and the need to manipulate and handle data Yeah, and the need to design great products yep. that appeal to consumers, right? So there isn't an industry that is going untouched. Yeah. So to the degree that you can take any industry and apply that tech DNA, Yep. I think that that's a powerful combination. It's something we're going to be seeing more and more across, I think, programs, academic programs across the world. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Trilogy, again, like, has been expanding very, very quickly. So, I know we're going to see great things to come. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about where Trilogy is going next? It seems like nobody's safe, or everybody is safe now. (laughs) You're going after everything, which is amazing. Brilliant people. So, I think that we just see, we see lots of, uh, cities that need help. We see lots of universities that need this type of support. We see lots of people that need these skills to transform and to create opportunities for themselves and for their families. Yeah. We see lots of programs that can use a little bit of boot camp in them, that yeah. can use that immersive yeah. hands-on experiential learning, yeah. kind of like the learning that I was telling you guys about earlier and some of my early days in college that I learned. Yeah. And so I think that you know, as long as there's a, a challenge in filling these types of roles, and as long as, you know, those 67 million engineers that work for U.S. companies mm-hmm. are going to have, a, have to learn new skills, mm-hmm. with the half-life of skills being two to three years, mm-hmm. we got a job to do. Yeah. And before going into the lightning round, what are some, you know, misconceptions about Trilogy or what that people don't understand when they look from the outside, but then after speaking with you, that their minds change or like, what are some things that are lesser known about Trilogy that hasn't really been covered in the media very well that, that you would like people to understand about you all? You know, I'd like to people, people to understand the level of rigor that we put into the programs and specifically how we leverage feedback mm-hmm. in our feedback loops. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. So one of the fundamental, most important books that I read when I started this business, mm-hmm. very simple. You can tell a lot from the title. It was called mm-hmm. Hug Your Haters. Hug your haters. So, I like it. Hug your haters. 
And what Hug Your Haters was about was how to think about feedback. Interesting. And how to think about feedback, frankly, as a gift. And how to think about, I know it's easy to say, harder to do, it's personal. Mm-hmm. But if you think about, if you actually imagine, if you actually listen to people, if you actually make improvements on what people are telling you. So we have classrooms that don't have the best instructors at times, mm-hmm. right? And we make changes. Mm-hmm. We have a bug in a curriculum in an exercise and we'll fix it. Yeah. We're going too fast in a certain context and we'll slow it down or provide more help and tutoring. Mm-hmm. So the data that we use is all about improvements and putting students first. Got it. Yeah. So we encourage people to give lots of feedback because we're listening. Yeah. So that's the most important thing. And I love that. That's how you build a great program. I love the point about feedback because a lot of the times when you, let's say, go to a job interview and uh, most times those interviews end in rejections or them telling you no. And what happens a lot is people get upset. They're hard on themselves. They feel like their self-worth was kind of determined by, by another party. What we usually recommend people who are part of our community is to embrace the feedback and um, see it as uh, like someone spending resources, like their engineers or designers interviewing you to determine what your weak points are. And if you ask for that feedback, most companies, most people don't email the recruiter or the person who interviewed them and ask for feedback. But if you do ask for feedback and you have 10, 20, 30 interviews, and after each interview, you listen, you take the feedback and you incorporate then at some point, you're going to hit the tipping point where you've already fixed everything you need to work on, and then you end up with a job offer. Yeah. So I love that point about feedback and how important it is. Yeah. And you know, I had like- a very uh, kind of exciting and proud day yesterday because I, so I was out, I was in, I was out at uh, in Denver mm-hmm. and I met in a single day, I woke up and I had breakfast with a number of our employees there and mm-hmm. I got great feedback. We had this animated, awesome discussion about diversity and inclusion. Okay. We talked about students in the classroom. We talked I mean, just this dynamic conversation mm-hmm. that I absolutely loved every second of mm-hmm. and lots of challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And then I went and I met with our university partner. We talked about what we could do in the community to make it better, to make our programs more accessible. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about, then I went and I met with a major corporation who told me about their pain points and their challenges and what they're looking to fill. And it was all about feedback. It was all, it's about going out. It's about asking questions. It's about learning and being open to that. And unless you're in the middle and you're, you know, you're open to that type of, uh, the type of feedback that you're receiving, you will never improve. So break down the walls, break down the barriers, go read, hug your haters, learn how to take feedback and learn how to uh, learn how to do something to make yourself better. Yeah, we're a learning organization. That's the number one. Thing. And uh, I would also encourage people who are listening to find uh, mentors or guides who can provide them with feedback before they actually start going out and interviewing and kind of failing. Because I think that with any, we talked a lot about like the growth mindset on this podcast and how you're like a self learner and you'll have to learn more skills over the next 30, 40 years of your career. I think a huge part of it is closing that feedback loop. And when you are learning, making sure that you're learning the right things, that you're thinking about it deliberately, and then that actually helps you expedite it and helps you get to the next, to level up and to the next goal. So I, I really love your emphasis on that. 
with this said, uh, this part of the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where we try to ask questions that are targeted towards any tactics, strategies, any advice that you can offer to our listeners so they could get to those careers and uh, get, get that, uh, fulfill their dreams. So with that said, uh, Arthur Rubin, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes us back to the basics. And imagine you just uh, moved to a brand new city. You only have $100 and you're starting from the beginning again. What would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get a job in tech? So I would uh, set up meetings with people that I know and people, friends of friends that are in tech and I would interview them and I'd buy them cups of coffee. So I'd Mm -hmm. spend that $100 on cups of coffee. Maybe uh-huh. Starbucks is too expensive. I would find a place to leverage so that I could have a hundred conversations. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred cups of coffee. Yeah, and just learn from people and ask a, a million questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we couldn't end this episode, you know, without talking about family. And you talked a little bit about the impact of not just your father-in-law, but your your father as well. And I'm sure your family and in the exposure to education growing up and the value of education growing up. So can you share uh, maybe one or a few of the most profound gems that your family shared with you that was impactful in your life, similar to Hug Your Haters, but directly from family? Absolutely. So, you know, I think it wasn't anything that my father in particular said, but it's what he did. Mm -hmm. And I watched him. So he was involved in the community. He cared about people in the community. It wasn't a you know, a Saturday or Sunday that went by where there wasn't someone in the house asking for his advice or for his help or for his opinion on something that was related to a community manner, whether it was in our religion or whether it was, you know, kind of for, you know, the role that he played at the university. And so I just saw this like service. Yeah. I saw everywhere I went, it was, it was about service. It was yeah. the highest, it wasn't about money. I don't think we talked about money growing up. I just mm-hmm. don't think it was the, the dialogue and I'm not saying that's good or bad. Right. Yeah. But it was always about service. Yeah. So watching him and watching him contribute and volunteer and be involved in so many things and help so many people, I think was very inspirational. Certainly yeah. Corda, you know, Corda, like one of the things that makes me love what we do at Trilogy so much is the ability to impact hopefully millions of people yeah. and with our programs and help cities and help countries. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's that service element. I think that was amazing. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I would say that, I've always done is I've always been able to kind of find in mentors. Yeah. And, you know, we have a, a woman who works at Trilogy who is a graduate from one of our programs. Mm-hmm. She's really risen in the ranks at Trilogy. Yeah. She wrote this amazing blog article called You Can't Be What You Can't See. Oh. And it was it's mm-hmm. it, it is a, like inspiring. Yeah. And, you know, I think that you have to look for sources of mentorship everywhere you go and you have to have different perspectives and you have to like, you can't be what you can't see. If you don't talk to people who've had those experiences, yep. if you don't take that time, if you don't, you know, if you're not mirroring your father who's into service or the mm-hmm. advice you get from your father-in-law or your, you know, early teachers or mentors, it's about that exposure. I'm yeah. going to take it back to you for a minute. Career mm-hmm. karma. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that you're going to expose people to different opinions mm-hmm. and let them see things that maybe independently they couldn't see and make those connections mm-hmm. is powerful stuff. And yeah. I think the number one way to be successful is to surround yourself with people maybe that have had a little more experience with you, that have had a little more success with you to mm-hmm. not, you know, and, and to allow yourself to be humbled mm-hmm. by that and to allow yourself to learn. 
Yeah. And I think yeah. that's uh, that's a key recipe for success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, th- I think you're, you're, you're spot on too, just talking a lot about, you know, you talked about hell wasn't about money. Something we think deeply about is like, how do we exchange value from each other if, if money didn't exist? A lot of times people focus on these senior level mentors, but peer level mentors, you know, also teach you a lot of things. Like if you think about Trilogy, the people they serve, not just these dishwashers, but even other Harvard MBAs, like if you all are, like if I'm a single parent, the meetups that I go to are different than someone that is not a parent. And so like sharing resources with each other, supporting each other, motivating each other is very helpful. So that's cool. You also touched on one more thing that jumped out to me that I'm going to ask about as, you know, you're this high power executive that's also super humble, that's serving all these different people, that's a family man. You know, what are things that you do from a routine perspective or from a balanced perspective? Like, do you listen to music? Do you you know, have a religious practice? Is there some type of meditation thing that you do? What do you do in order to balance to, you know, stay calm, cool, and collected and, and serve millions of people? So I, uh, I love to run. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think, so I think exercise is really important. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to keep my head on straight if I didn't exercise. And I actually mm-hmm. just started this unbelievable, like, boxing class. Oh, wow. That, uh, that <laughs> we is do Muay really, Thai out here. Yeah, we do Muay Thai over here. here. <laughs> See, that's that's fine. I mean, this, this is like planks and push-ups and sit-ups and boxing and mm-hmm. like I you know never felt better. I think you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to get your head straight. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time also journaling and documenting nice. my experience. I use uh, Evernote okay. quite a bit. Yep, yep. So I um you know when I have experiences, when I have interactions with people, when I want to synthesize kind of what happened in the day, mm-hmm. like I just write it down. And yep. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It's not going to be published, right? Yeah. But that yep. one of the other things I do just from a company perspective. So every week I write this email called This Week at Trilogy. Nice. And it, you know, people think it's uh, a way to just share news and information. But for me, it's a cathartic process. It's yep. to think about week over week, you know, who are we helping? What are we accomplishing? What's happening across the teams? It allows me to be focused and connected. Yeah. So I have a lot of little kind of, you know, productivity hacks, you yeah. know feel-good hacks, mm-hmm. things that I do just to kind of allow myself to kind of stay focused. If yeah. anything, I need to do that a little bit better on the home front. Um, yeah. I've, got, uh, I've got two uh, two little boys that, that are very active, and uh, I enjoy spending a large amount of time with them as well. Yeah. And I think you always have to kind of remember that balance. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of productivity hacks, one of the things that – we see people struggle with when they're career transitioning and acquiring new skills as actually not the learning part, but finding the time to make sacrifices and find that balance where you can dedicate two, three hours a night to learning JavaScript or learning React. Do you have any advice or any uh, productivity hacks that you use for yourself to prioritize and manage your time that our listeners can implement as well? Yeah, no, great question. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of reading about habit change. So one of my favorite writers on the subject is uh, James Clear. I'm not okay. sure if you know James mm-hmm. Clear. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend like read everything he's ever written okay. all about productivity hacks and how to do habit change. Okay. It's a little bit Tim Ferriss-esque. Okay. We like but, Tim Ferriss. But but uh, but James Clear, I read everything that he writes. Okay. I share articles extensively throughout the company. He's got great ideas on how to formulate habit change. In fact, we brought James Clear on uh, to do a webinar for students. Oh, you do webinars. And uh, we, you know, we brought him on to talk a little bit about creating new habits with your newfound skills in tech. 
I like that. And, you know, and I think it's just important to look at it like, you know, you're only going to get good if you put the time and the effort in and you're going to have to overcome the, the initial yeah. resistance that we all have. And whether it's going to the gym or eating right or learning how to code, yeah, you know, exactly. learning a new language. So, so mastering habit change is a worthwhile investment in your education. And James Clear, I think, is a true thought leader on that subject. Sounds like we might have to do a podcast with James Clear. You, you should. You should do it. I would highly recommend you do a podcast with James Clear. All right. Sound. Sounds good. And you, you also, you talked about circles of influence. You talked about, you know, these students, you talked about peer groups, we talked about mentors, we talked about family. You touched on one of your team members, but can you talk a little bit more about the trilogy team? Because like, obviously they have this fearless leader, Dan, but tell us a little bit more about your team and, and how it came together. And who are these other superheroes that are on this mission to save the world? So I, I would say this, and uh, you know, when I, um, my technique when I was in high school, when I was in college is, you know, I was never going to be the smartest one in the room, but I was very good at finding the smartest one in the room. I was mm-hmm. very good at finding people who knew more than I did mm-hmm. and surrounding myself with people that knew more than I did and uh, that had a different experience. So I've been very fortunate hopefully strategic about surrounding myself with an executive team and with people that kind of blow my mind every day in terms of what they're able to accomplish and who have helped to build a culture that make people want to work at Trilogy, mm-hmm. you know, that want to make people feel engaged in what we're doing at Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's really, it's important that, you know, it's almost, it's almost easy to do yeah. in a sense, because when you have a mission that's helping people, there's not a single person. I talk to students. Everyone on my team talks to students. If you're passionate about the mission and you feel day in and day out connected to why you are doing what you do, mm-hmm. and for us, it's about helping students to achieve success, it's very easy to stay focused and build a great culture. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So what, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? So best way is simply reach out to me, reach out to me in email or reach out to me over LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter. I'm, I'm uh, very, very, uh, very accessible, very available. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And what's your email so folks get, in case someone wants to email you either from the career services or one of the students, how could they reach you? Dan at TrilogyEd, T-R-I-L-O-G-Y-E-D.com. Sounds good, awesome. sounds good. Cool, well, uh, we're really excited to see what comes in the future. Hopefully we'll be supporting you as well and, and helping to fuel this, pour some gas on it. Amen, um, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Loved it. Appreciate the uh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, Encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.